0: Today I want us to have a perspective shift and to understand what I mean by having a perspective shift I want us to look at Revelation chapter 4 we'll begin in verse 8 and read through chapter 5 verse 12 we're making our way through the book of Revelation in this two-year series we've been in called God's story our story Revelation, the end of God's story, at the end of the Bible, is also the end of human history. We established last week that John, the apostle, is the author. John, in the first century, has been exiled to a Roman penal colony called Patmos. And that it is there that he writes the book of Revelation. The theme of the Bible, is the kingdom of God and if the theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God then revelation is the final victory of the king and his kingdom you'd be shocked how many Christians when asked what's the Bible all about say I think it has 62 64 66 books I think it begins with Genesis Ends, I think, with Revelation. It's full of wars and rumors of wars and kings and queens and battles. I I know Jesus is right in the middle of it, but I really don't have any comprehension what the story of the Bible is all about. It's the kingdom. And we read in Revelation the good news that the end of all human history ends with the perfection and the consummation of the kingdom and the final victory of Jesus as the king we talked about last week in the book of revelation with all of its themes and characters with all of the images of beast and antichrist we established this if you are more obsessed with the rise of the antichrist and not the return of the king you've missed the whole point of revelation In John chapter 1, we read last week that on the island of Patmos, Jesus reveals himself in his glorified state to John. But it's here in chapters 4 and 5, we'll read this morning, that John is caught up into the throne room of God, much like Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6. That in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of of a world being turned upside down. That was the first century reality for John. John is given a shift of perspective, and it is a shift of radical proportions as he's caught up into the throne room of heaven. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Let's enter into the throne room of God. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings... Forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created chapter 5 verse 1 then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out, into the old, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, to take the soul, scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, but by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on this earth. And then I looked and I heard the th- round the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying, With a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And on this Lord's day, the grass continues to wither and it surely continues to fade. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. You are so heavenly minded You're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Have you ever used that phrase before? If you have ever used that phrase before, I want you to wrap it up and throw it out. You see, there is no such thing as being too heavenly-minded. That phrase came about in light of people thinking so much about heaven that they couldn't wait to escape this world. But I want to propose to you this morning that the more heavenly-minded one is, the more you want to bring that reality down here to earth. Being heavenly-minded should never lead to escapism, but it should now inform the way we think about what we see in front of us. And I don't know about you, I can't keep up with the current news cycle. And if there was ever a time, just like in John's time, where he needed a vision and a perspective of heaven to see all of life, if there was ever a time to have a radical shift in perspective, I want to propose that it's today. If there was ever time to be more heavenly-minded, it is now, because our vision and our perspective of heaven radically changes everything. The first thing I want you to see here in Revelation chapter 4 is a perspective of ultimate reality. I said that John, the apostle, is caught up into the throne room of God. He is caught up into heaven And it's a vision, it's a vision of a throne and seated on the throne is God. And surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones that make up the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. But this is what is so profound about this throne we see in Revelation chapter four. This is not happening in the future. It's happening now, in the present, in the present, for John, he is being caught up into eternity past and eternity present and eternity future. He is being caught up into the reality that defines all other reality. Why is this important for John? Because John could have easily said, Caesar's on the throne and this vision of heaven informs the apostle John no he's not God is on the throne but God the the church is being destroyed the dream is over no it's not because I need you to see what's happening right now in the midst of your persecution in the midst of suffering in the midst of the world looking like it's going to hell in a handbasket with Caesar claiming the throne I need you to see what's currently happening God is on his throne. You see, we often treat the reality of heaven as as if it is some fantasy land. And we get so caught up in our current realities that we buy the lie that this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. And John's vision of heaven is God's grace to John and ultimately us this morning that though, no, it's not. I know Caesar's claiming to be on the throne, but let me give you a vision of what is really happening. And what is happening in Revelation chapter 4 is John's world is being rocked because God is announcing to John, this is ultimately what is real. Don't buy the lie that what you see on earth is what is really happening. See the vision of heaven is informing John of what is happening here on earth. And it is the only thing that will allow John to survive the present and to survive the future. It's the only thing that will allow John to properly interpret what he is about to see in the rest of Revelation. As God unveils to John how the world will eventually end, he needs to first see the picture of ultimate reality. And see, the problem is, We on this earth and in our lives caught up in the tyranny of the urgent, we attempt to build our thrones. We attempt to fix our broken world and the brokenness of our lives. And our throne and our kingdoms that we attempt to build on this earth, this passage is telling us are in direct opposition and open rebellion To the true king who reigns in heaven. John, I need you to see. What you see with the naked eye, that is not ultimate reality. I need your reality and your present and your future to be defined by what is truly happening in heaven. And anyone who attempts to build their throne and their kingdom and wants to attempt to play God and king, they are in direct opposition and rebellion and it will only lead to misery and heartache. Because after all, our thrones are nothing more than a plastic Fisher Price off the shelf of target throne throne. And it is God's way here in Revelation chapter 4 to say your kingdom and your thrones, they're pathetic. They're a joke. And until you get off the throne and to find your present and define find your suffering and to find the realities of your life and your world through the true ultimate reality of heaven, of God who has conquered and sitting on the throne, you'll never be able to survive. Now, often people say, I don't know how one could survive life without God. I don't know about you. I don't know how I survive the morning. I don't know about you. I'm just trying to make it to lunchtime. Because you know, if we're honest, it's that first text message. It's that first email. It's that first phone call. It is that first news on our social media feed. It's the first news story on the morning news that can devastate our day. I'm not just trying to make it through life. I'm trying to make it through the morning. And without this vision that I can wake up knowing that God has already conquered and God is on his throne and all other thrones in this world are converging on this one throne, if I don't have that truth pressed deep into my soul, there's no way you and I can survive this life with a life that is To come, we need a new reality, a reality that is defined by God who has conquered and sitting on his throne. This is true reality. But not only do we see a perspective of ultimate reality shaped by the throne room of heaven here in chapter 4, moving on to chapter 5, we see a perspective of true worth. We live in a world and a culture that is trying to convince you what is worthy and what is not worthy. We live in a world and a culture that is trying to convince you of how you can truly find the one or the thing of greatest worth. And it is in the throne room of heaven that John sees the one of greatest worth. You see, the title of the worthy one was reserved for Caesar. The title worthy one was reserved for the one who sits in the king's palace. But John sees another one of greatest worth. But he sees it in the context of one sitting on the throne with a scroll. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we see God and in his right hand is a scroll. What is the scroll? The scroll is the will of God. It is how all of the future promises will be fulfilled. It is how God will make this world right. It is containing the names of those that will be saved. And it's interesting that this will, this legal will of God, is sealed with seven seals. Well, the Roman government required all legal wills to be witnessed by seven witnesses and therefore sealed with seven seals. And the reason John is weeping is he needs somebody to execute the will. If God is perfect, then his will is perfect and it demands a perfect executor of the will. And see, John is standing there in heaven, and we are told that John can do nothing but weep. Why is he weeping? Because for the first time, he is confronted with the reality of his brokenness and of his sinfulness. He's confronted with it in Revelation 4 as the creatures of heaven are crying out, Holy, holy, holy. You see, for John, the only thing the scroll has to offer is condemnation and judgment. John looks at the scroll and he's stuck. He wants to open up the scroll and know how will God fulfill his promises? How will God rescue him? Can you resonate with John? Do you ever feel stuck like John? Where you've been going to church your whole life, but you look at your current realities and all you can do is weep? I know what God says in his word. I know God promises, but I turn on the news and I get the call from my kids and I hear from my parents and I I, I look at social media and I go, God, where are you? All it can do is cause you to weep because like John, at times we feel stuck and helpless. And it's in the midst of his weeping And asking the question, who in the world is worthy to open this scroll so that we can find out how in the world, God, will you make this messed up world right again? And he hears a voice. Verse five And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold the lion. The tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you hear and notice the Old Testament language? It's everything John had been thinking. I've read about the tribe of Judah. I've read about the root of David. I've read about all of the promises of God my entire life. And I've been waiting to hear how, God, you will fulfill your promises in my day and in my life. And all of a sudden he hears the elder, the one who has come to fulfill all of the promises of God and to make this world right again. He is the lion. He is from the tribe of Judah. He is from the root of David. He has come as the conquering king. But that's what John hears. That's not what John sees. In verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb that was slain. John, I know you're up in heaven and you're having this moment of ecstasy, but let's get the story right. Is it a lion or is it a lamb? And the answer is it's both. You see, the glory of Jesus, what makes Jesus worthy to open the scroll, is not only does he come as a conquering lion. Not only does he come as the almighty king, but he comes as the one who takes on all of the condemnation and judgment written in that scroll. He takes on all of the judgment of rebels like you and me who have declared rebellion against the true king. And it is through him becoming like a lamb, lamb with fresh wounds in heaven, that he becomes the all-worthy one. You see, true worth and greatness is redefined in Revelation chapter 5 for us. No longer is power and greatness simply reserved for the conquering king. But greatness and worth and power is now redefined forever by the king who comes to sacrifice his life for his people. You see, Jesus is not only the almighty king, but he is the gentle and lowly lamb and it forever redefines greatness and power. It is the open wounds of the lamb that was slain, standing before the throne room of God that gives Jesus his ultimate worth and allows us to see this is the truly worthy one. Do you understand what good news this is for us? that worth and greatness is not defined by this world, that we do not have to find our worth and our value by what the world says about us, by how we're defined by others. Do you understand how practical this is, that we have a whole new definition of what is worthy and what is great? And not only is Jesus the worthy one, the promise is all those that are found in him find their worth And their value in the lion and in the lamb that was slain. Mighty and strong, yet yet gentle and lowly. And it begs us to ask the question, what kind of king is this? But it is the reality of this lion, lamb, king, that was slain. That we ascribe him ultimate worth and ultimate praise. But lastly, if this perspective that John gets of ultimate reality, and this perspective is true, that John sees the one of ultimate worth, lastly this morning, it is a perspective, therefore, that demands a response. If if this is truly a picture of ultimate reality, you and I can't leave here today going, That was a good message. It is a message much like the elders and the creatures of heaven that it demands a response because here is the truth. Jesus reigns whether we like it or not. And either your life will be defined by you building your throne and your kingdom. Your life will be defined by you trying to play God. And can I let you into a little secret? There's not enough room for both of you. There's only room for one throne. There's only room for one king. Spoiler alert, he wins. And our lives, which fail to recognize the conquering king who became a lamb on the throne right now, in the midst of whatever you're facing in life, is nothing short of an open rebellion to God, the king. I don't know what you came into this room with this morning, but I can tell you this, that regardless of what you are experiencing right now in life, there is no way that you can survive the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of life with any other reality than what John gives us here in Revelation 4 and 5. It is a life that will forever be marked by misery and torment and heartbreak until the day comes where your throne is deconstructed and your crown is cast off and you surrender to the one true king. I fear that in the North American church, our reality is shaped more by cable news than by the throne room of heaven. I fear in the North American church that your reality and my reality is far too often shaped by Facebook and Instagram and the throne room of heaven. And it's time that we say, no, no longer will my life and my reality, no longer will my perspective of what is truly worthy be defined by anything other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because the angst you feel inside every day, the overwhelming feelings of stress and emotions is nothing other than one throne rubbing up against the other throne, two thrones in conflict with one another and you will never feel the peace that your soul longs for until you surrender. So I asked you this morning, Are you ready to surrender? Now, there are people here that surrendered their life to Jesus years ago. But because of your life and the overwhelming nature of this world, you've bought into the lie that you can take care of it by yourself. You can fix your life and the brokenness of this world. And it's time for us, maybe this morning, to once again repent and confess God, I know you're the king. But far too often, I've been living my life as if I'm the king. I need to get off the throne. I need to cast down my crown. But more than likely, there are people here this morning and watching at home that have never surrendered. They've lived their entire life in open rebellion to the king. Their life has only been defined by the tyranny of the urgent and by the present. This is an invitation to you this morning. An invitation like you've never received before. This is an invitation not based on anything you've done. This is an invitation not based on anything you could actually conquer or fix. Actually, the opposite. It's an invitation to surrender your life to the one that was slain on your behalf, to fall on your face, to take off your crown, to deconstruct your throne, and surrender your life to the one true God. I want to ask you, are you tired? Are you exhausted yet of building your kingdom? Come home. Find rest and find peace. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you confess and repent, You can simply speak to God directly in a few minutes and say, God, I confess, I want you to be king. I get off my throne and I surrender my life to you. Not only are we gonna pray for you, but there's gonna be people in the narthex following the service. And I would encourage you to go to the back to say, yes, today's the day I believe. Today is the day I got off my throne. I am pleading with you today. I have lamented over this message unlike any other message, pleading with you with all the gifts God has given me, which are not, are not many, to plead with you, to surrender, because I love you, because life lived any other way is a life that will never be fulfilled, a life that will never be satisfying, a life that has no hope and no future. I plead with you to surrender. I want to leave you with this hypothetical situation. Imagine after a long day at work, I come home to my house. Family is seated around the table. But there's a man sitting in my chair. And I rightfully ask, what in the world are you doing in my home sitting in my seat? And this strange man I don't know says, I've moved in and I'm taking over. I'm now going to lead your home. I'm now going to lead your family. Well, you probably need to call in the SWAT team because somebody's going to be, need to be carried out of that home. It sounds audacious, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound outright absurd? Let me tell you something really absurd. Us moving into this world, building our thrones, and in direct opposition to God, saying, God, thanks, but no thanks, I've got this one. That, my friends, is utterly absurd. I'm pleading with you to see the true throne, I'm pleading with you to surrender. One of the most heartbreaking things for a pastor is to see people come in and leave being absolutely unmoved. How could you experience this word and not be moved this morning? A move and a call to surrender because there is only one hope in this life and the life that is to come and it is the hope of those who take off their crown, get off their throne and fall in their face and forever worship. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I just want to stop and pause and pray. For as the Spirit moves in this room and in people's minds and hearts, there are those listening and watching at home that have never surrendered, living their life in open rebellion to the King But I pray that they, for the first time, might recognize that this is no ordinary king. This is not a king who simply assumes the throne. This is a king who assumes the throne because he is the one that has laid down his life so that we might live forever. It is the King of Kings, the Mighty One, the Lion of Judah and the Root of David who also became the Lamb that was slain. And for that reason, we give Him ultimate worth praise and glory. May the picture of the throne room of God, what is happening in heaven, not in the future, but what is happening in heaven right now define reality for us so that we can survive the here and now, but also survive the future. And I pray for those that have never confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may they, for the first time, be invited to repent And to confess, they simply need to take off that crown, move off the throne, and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Saying simply this, Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for living life as if you don't exist. Forgiving me for the absurdity of building a throne and a kingdom in this world. As if I was the conquering one. I now fall on my face. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me and make me whole because now I see for the first time worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Jesus reign and rule in my life now and forevermore. Amen and amen.